is Ian Hartley. I'm Warren Kay. And I am Sasha Steenbergen. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see him more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. Welcome, everyone, to our Rediscovering God podcast and discussion today. We are excited to be able to share with you about the sign of Jonah. Jesus referred to Jonah as a sign. We're going to unpack that today, and I hope that it will just bring much insight to what Jesus experienced and what he was trying to help his disciples to understand. Ian, why don't you introduce it for us? So, uh, yes, really interesting uh, why Jesus used the sign of Jonah. This has puzzled me literally for decades. What we think through together today uh, has really put my heart at rest uh, in terms of this quest. Hmm. Hey, I'm a poet. Quest and rest. There you um, go. Well done. None of you noticed. So I had to point it out. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. Now, the first thing we need to settle is that Jesus' contemporaries expected the Messiah to live forever. There was no place in their understanding of the uh, Messiah that he would suffer and die. He was going to be an uber King David or King Solomon. He would come take over the kingdom and develop it into a world-embracing empire. So how can I say that so arrogantly? Uh, from John 12, verse 31 to 34. Warren, why don't you read that for us? The time for judging this world has come, when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. The crowd responded, we understand from scripture that the Messiah will live forever. How can you say the son of man will die? Just who is this son of man anyway? Okay, so does that nail it down for you, you two? Yeah, that's, that's very clear. What they expected uh, was that the Messiah would never die. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I never noticed that before, actually. So uh, Jesus kept telling his disciples and the crowd sometimes that he was going to suffer and die. But every time he told them their hearing aid batteries went flat, yeah. <laughs> they, they just couldn't hear this. Well, and, and that's so much like even us today. We hear what will uh, meet our needs, not the things that won't. We have a saying that when the student is ready, the teacher comes. Like you can tell people stuff and they don't get it. But then one day, well, they I, need, I, they're looking for something. I've yeah. even experienced that myself. I will start reading a book and, and it just doesn't make sense to me. And I'll put it aside. And then sometime later, I'll pick it up and I think, oh, wow, this is amazing. I, I can't believe this. And, and just because I was now ready to learn what the person was saying. 
Yeah, good point. Jesus may have chosen the sign of Jonah because it's one of the least confrontational signs in the Old Testament. Uh, because Jonah survived the drowning and all the sacrifices ended up annihilated. If you're trying to say, I'm going to, I'm the Messiah, and then you start telling people, well, I'm going to die, and you know they can't hear it, um, he told them something else that they could work with. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure you've all had that, especially when talking to kids. Uh, you're trying to explain something and they go, huh? So yeah. you try something else, uh, maybe something a little simpler, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So here's the passage where Jesus actually refers to giving them the sign of the prophet Jonah. It's in Matthew 16, the first four verses. And Sasha is just willing and wanting and waiting to read it. One day, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. He replied, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then Jesus left and went away. At the end of verse 1, they want a miraculous sign to prove his authority, his credibility, his authenticity. Mm -hmm. And Jesus responds to that by saying, the sign of Jonah will do that. In our presentation, point number 11, I know that sounds a long way away, but uh, point number 11 will address that issue directly. Okay. Well, and usually we, we think of this sign of Jonah as simply the three days and the three nights. Period. Yeah. Just one mm -hmm. point, and it hasn't really made a lot of sense, but as we will unpack it today, there's so much more in there. Mm -hmm. So let's review the story of Jonah. Um, it's a very familiar story, but it's good to know the details. So we're going to read chapter one, and we'll just alternate paragraphs. I'll start off, Sasha, next, and then Warren. Verse one, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgments against it, because I've seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leading for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw their cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But at this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe you will pay attention to us and spare our lives. 
Then the cat, the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to, the sh to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sins. And don't hold us responsible for his death. O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Okay, so that's uh, chapter one. Anything that struck you as we read it? I, I like these sailors. Uh, they don't want to throw Jonah overboard. They do their best to avoid it. Mm -hmm. But uh, finally, they acquiesce to Jonah's suggestion. That's yeah. what's so interesting to me. Jonah knew how to solve the problem. Even though they didn't follow God, they had a sense of morality. And they knew it wasn't right just to throw this guy overboard. Right, because they had this very big idea of like, if something bad happens, it's the gods who are needing to be appeased. Some, like we have to do, you know, be good to have the gods not do bad things to us. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So notice in the last verse, verse 17, uh, that God saves Jonah via a fish and that he was inside the fish for three days and three nights. So this is the only direct um, uh, indication of how long Jesus would be dead in the whole Old Testament. There, there's no other um, indicator that he would be dead for three days and three nights. So in chapter 2, Jonah prays from the belly of the fish and makes many promises to worship God, <laughs> if he will Which say. seems very understandable. <laughs> <laughs> In chapter 3, Jonah preaches uh, in Nineveh, the citizens repent and are saved from destruction. And then in chapter 4, Jonah got out of the wrong side of the bed, he's angry. He's angry that the good that sheltered him from the sun had died. He's angry with God for killing the good and having mercy on the Ninevites, as Jonah wanted them all destroyed. The Assyrians were nasty people. They would skin you alive if they didn't like you. 
they were very cruel people and China would just as soon have gotten rid of them. Uh, to use Old Testament language, in Jonah's understanding, their cup of iniquity was full. Mm -hmm. They were ripe for destruction. The story is sometimes misunderstood because we assume that the reason Jonah didn't want to go was he, he didn't like the people. They were terrible people. But as, it, as you get to the end of the story, you realize the reason he didn't want to go was he knew that God was going to save them and not destroy them. And, and that, that's what really upset him. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me that, I don't know, I find it's funny when he's, you know, running away from God, he doesn't want to do this. He's in the belly, he's praying. He's like, oh God, you know, just, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. It's like God saves him. And that's all good because his thing wasn't so bad. <laughs> but then when the other people are actually praying for salvation and and all that. It's like, no, no, no. We want, we want these guys to die though. <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. inconsistent. Mm -hmm. So I have seven points of irony in the prophet uh, Jonah. First of all, Jonah runs away from an all knowing omniscient God. Like, mm -hmm. hello. <laughs> yeah. In, yeah, he must have uh, must have uh, just just kind of slipped that cog and think that he could run away. Yeah, and, and uh, there are seven of these points. Jonah offers himself as a human sacrifice in place of bringing salvation to Nineveh. Like this guy feels very strongly about not going to Nineveh. He's actually prepared to forfeit his life. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, I mean, he apparently felt very, um, uh, I don't know what the word is, but the fact that he was sound asleep, you know, it, it made me think of Jesus being sound asleep in the boat too. And it was like, almost like his, his conscience wasn't troubled. He sort of was like, I am on this boat and I'm headed out and I'm, you know, going to have a, a good rest here now. And seems a little strange. He was very convicted. <laughs> the sailors pray to Jonah's God for deliverance, and Jonah's sound asleep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, yeah, maybe he wants to die. Maybe he has a death wish. Maybe he'd rather die than go to Nineveh. Hmm. The fourth point of irony is that Jonah takes three days in the stomach of a fish to repent. I mean, he really has a hard heart. Uh, three days in gastric juices to soften his heart. Yeah. <laughs> and Nineveh <gasps> repents on the first day that Jonah preaches there. Mm. Right. Uh, the Ninevites are saved and Jonah is angry because he's successful. But <laughs> <laughs> an irony. Yeah. And Jonah is more concerned over the good which died than the people of Nineveh. Mm -hmm. And then finally, Jonah wants a punitive God who demands human sacrifice. When actually God is merciful and gracious. We, we have to read Jonah 4 verse 11. Um, whoever's got it first, go ahead and read it. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Yeah. Mm. 
So here you've got uh, God's attitude towards the Ninevites. God has compassion on them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now we get to the real question. Why did Jesus choose the sign of Jonah? So let's look at some other signs that Jesus could have used. For mm -hmm. instance, what about Abram and Isaac? They walked three days to get to Mount Moriah. Uh, Abram thought that Isaac was going to have to die. Um, read the story for us, uh, Sasha, in Genesis 22, just the first four verses. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up quicker, or got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants, along with him, his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire, for a burnt offering, and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. Thank you. So this would almost seem like a, an excellent sign um, to give. Uh, it's going to be three days. Uh, imagine Abraham's heart for those three days of traveling. But Jesus died during Passover. Why didn't he give Passover as a sign? He was going to take us out from the slavery of sin, like Moses took them out from Egyptian slavery. The veil in the temple was supernaturally divided, but Jesus didn't give that as a sign. No leper had ever been healed in Israel, but he didn't give this miracle as a sign. I know somebody's going to say, but what about Miriam? So, yes, I know about Miriam. Um, no man blind from birth had ever been healed in Israel, but Jesus did not give this as a sign. Jesus could have used a sign connected with animal sacrifice or temples, temple rituals. I mean, this is really the most obvious one that I would have thought Jesus would have given. But yeah. he doesn't. Mm -hmm. He doesn't seem, he seems to avoid any connection with the sacrificial system. Mm -hmm. I hope that gives pause for thought. Mm -hmm. Jesus never called himself a sacrifice. He did identify himself as a ransom. Uh, Warren, if you could read Matthew 20, 28, please. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thank you. So after all the thousands, maybe millions of animals sacrificed, Israel made no connection between them and the Messiah. Why do I say that? Because they did not expect Messiah to suffer and be sacrificed. And yeah. This is astonishing to me. It, mm -hmm. it, really, it really makes it evident that they had totally misunderstood what God had intended the sacrificial system to teach them. You know, this is so elementary for us today. Uh, we teach our children, you know, and we, we tell each other routinely that those sacrifices all pointed forward to Jesus. 
but there doesn't seem to have been any <laughs> Jew who got that in Jesus' day. Mm -hmm. and, and Jesus himself doesn't use it to illustrate what's going to happen to him. What did they think the sacrifices were necessary for? Well, as any sacrifice, you were trying to convince a deity to show you favor. And I'm sure that had become the same with them and God. Yeah. They wanted forgiveness. They wanted peace. And so they had to buy that with an animal. Yeah, like to stand in place. I think I feel like I always learned that it was to stand in the place of us. That we deserve to die and so the animal did it for us well and also maybe it's because as john the baptist said behold the lamb of god His, jesus was the lamb given to us to get us to change our mind not the lamb given to us so that we could give it back to god to change his mind yeah yeah that's yeah that's pivotal so, so that's interesting. He understood it. You're saying like John understood also this, like Jesus, whereas the other people didn't even understand that. It seems so. Yeah. And Jesus understood that's what he was. So he doesn't connect himself with what they'd been doing for so many years. Right. Yeah. So this idea that the Messiah would live forever and that he couldn't suffer and die is so ingrained that when uh, after Jesus' resurrection, he meets these two disheartened disciples on the road to Emmaus. And uh, he explains to them the scriptures that predicted his suffering. So I want to read that because uh, we don't always register it. Uh, Luke 24, 25 to 26. Um, Sasha, if you could read that, please. Or is it war? I've lost track. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? So you get it. This is what Jesus is explaining to them. The, the passages that predict the suffering of Messiah. He's not explaining all the prophecies that Messiah would come. That they've got. They are disheartened because Messiah, who they thought was going to live forever, is dead. And then Jesus has to give the same explanation about these predictions of his suffering and death to the uh, 11 disciples. Sasha, you're on Luke 24. Mm -hmm. Read 45 and 46, please. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. So the explanations Jesus is giving uh, is not a, a generally general messianic prophecies. It's specifically about his suffering and death. So just like we sort of cherry pick stuff, they were also kind of doing that as well to make it suit what they what they needed him to be. Yeah. So before we actually go to the sign of Jonah, uh, no sign is going to be predictive in all aspects of Jesus' death. If Jesus had chosen uh, the sign of Abram and Isaac, Isaac was not sacrificed. Jesus was executed. 
Jonah did not want the Ninevites to be saved, but destroyed. Jesus wanted all people to repent and be saved. Jonah avoided his mission while Jesus embraced his mission. Why then did Jesus pick the sign of the reluctant prophet Jonah? Okay, so now we're into it. 11 points of the parallel uh, or the dissonance between Jonah and Jesus. Number one, Jonah voluntarily gave himself to death. He suggested to the sailors that he be thrown overboard, and he did not object when they carried out his suggestion. And Jesus voluntarily gave himself to death. No animal sacrifice ever did this. Um, in John 10, verse 18, um, Warren, if you could read that, please. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. Hmm. So the first point is that both Jonah and Jesus offer up their lives voluntarily. Um, number two. Well, before you go there, just yes. to, to elaborate a little bit, because they did take him to, you know, they beat him and, and then took him to the cross. They killed him. The voluntary part is he knew he could have just spoken the word and, and released himself from that situation, whereas none of us could do that. We, didn't, we don't have that choice. He always had that option but he allowed them to do to him whatever they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Good point. Yeah. Um, you know, when they walked from Jesus and the disciples walked from Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, if they'd gone on east over the hill and down to Jericho and across the Jordan, they would have been beyond the power of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. But Jesus stopped at the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Point number two. Jonah did not imagine he would survive drowning. Like when he's thrown overboard, uh, he does not know uh, he's going to be rescued by the gastric juices of a fish. <laughs> Imagine being in this... Uh, belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Um, I remember this big word, peristalsis. You know, the movement of your digestive system. It keeps moving to help the digestion of the foods. You imagine the stomach moving and, and Jonah wondering just when he was going to die. Right. So Jesus, at one point on the cross, did not imagine that he was going to survive. Mm -hmm. um, Sasha, if you can read Matthew 27, 46, please. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? You know, this means that Jesus had given up hope of resurrection. Now, I don't know if uh, I imagine Warren has accompanied anybody into death. Uh, I've never had any person that I accompanied into death suddenly shout out, 
God, why have you forsaken me? I would not sleep well if that happened. This is an unbeliever's death. This is not a believer's death. Both of them did not expect to survive. Point number three, Jonah goes down into the belly of the fish. Jonah, uh, Jesus goes down into the heart of the earth. Warren, if you can read Matthew 12, 40. For just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. They both go down into this abyss, if you like. Point number four, Jonah escaped death and Jesus defeated death. Mm. There's the difference. Jonah 2, verse 1 and 2. Sasha, if you can read that, please. Go ahead. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, Shoal, and Lord, you heard me. So some people actually think that Jonah may have been resurrected. <clears throat> you see, when he says, I called to you from the land of the dead, is that uh, metaphorically speaking that he knew he was going to die, or is it literal uh, that he had actually died? Well, depending on how much water he swallowed when he was thrown <laughs> into the sea, I mean, he could have been out for a while. Anyway, he escaped death, um, mm -hmm. whatever uh, point of view you take. Jesus defeated death, um, unlike the animal sacrifices. Animal sacrifices did not escape death and they did not defeat death. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were toast. They were dismembered. So Mark 8, verse 31, uh, Warren. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Okay. And uh, Sasha, if you can read Acts 2.24. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grasp. So, uh, you know, I, I can't explain this all, but um, sin and death have to be defeated from the inside out. Jesus had to actually go into the heart of death and sin and defeated there and then come out again. The, the only analogy I can give you is uh, topical medicine and internal medicine. You know, if you take a uh, uh, you can use an antibiotic topically uh, on the surface for some infections, but generally it's administered orally or intravenously. It has to go right into the body in order to defeat the infection. And I think the, the great power of the resurrection uh, is not just in the fact that Jesus was resurrected, but it communicates a message to every believer that God can do the same with us. And so fear does not need to be something to be, our death doesn't need to be something to be afraid of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So point number five, Jonah was spit, which is a euphemism for vomited out of the fish. Jesus was, what word would you like? Expelled, spit, vomited, sounds so disgusting, <laughs> out of death by the resurrection. Mm. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 4, uh, Warren. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. 
Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. So he's raised from death. He's expelled. <laughs> That's the word I was looking for. Mm. He's expelled from death by his resurrection. Yeah. Point number six, the center of Jonah's story. Actually, the story of Jonah is chiastic. A chiasm is the beginning and the end match. And then as you progress from the beginning and work backwards from the end, everything matches. And then you come to the focal point of the story or the paragraph. And uh, the focal point in Jonah is 2.9 or 2.10. So the center of Jonah's story is found in 2 verse 9. Uh, Sasha, if you can read that, please. My salvation comes from the Lord alone. Okay, this is Jonah. He is casting himself onto the Lord. He has this long prayer of promises, all the things he's going to do if God will get him out the belly of the fish. Then he makes this statement. So Jesus makes the same statement on the cross. Uh, Warren, if you can read Luke 23, 46. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Thank you. You see the parallel here. Um, yeah. They're both casting themselves on God. Hmm. Fascinating. Hadn't noticed that before. So point number seven, Jonah was under the sentence of death for three days uh, in the belly of the fish, and Jesus was dead for three days. Um, we've actually already read Matthew 12, 40. Uh, number uh, Luke 9, 22 uh, is a parallel statement, and... Uh, Warren, if you could read that, please. Luke 9, 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. So this is in Luke chapter 9. Uh, you know, Luke has uh, how many chapters? 20, 22, I think. Maybe more. Yeah, something like that. So this is early in Luke that Jesus is already saying the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and be killed. Yeah. But nobody hears it. Yeah. It, it just doesn't register. So point number eight, when Jonah emerged from the fish, his attitude was changed. <laughs> well, you'd have to be pretty tough not to have your attitude changed. <laughs> yeah. When Jesus emerges from death, his body is changed. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 49. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, 
so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I don't understand the implications of all this. Uh, I just know that when Jesus emerged from the from death, he had a different kind of body than before. And Paul is talking about this here. And it's interesting to me that because his attitude didn't need to be adjusted, his attitude wasn't different when he came back, but his body was different. That's a good point. Thank you. So point number nine, Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. Jesus did not want to go to Jerusalem. Uh, how do I know that? I know that for the uh, passage in Matthew 16, 21 to 23. Warren? From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he'd be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Okay, so um, why is this a temptation for Jesus? The only explanation for that is that he doesn't want to go there. He knows what's going to happen there. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was human enough to, he was divine enough to know what was going to happen and human enough to know you don't just walk eagerly into something like that. You want to avoid it. And he'd always avoided um, arrest before and stonings. Like yeah. he would just walk through the mob somehow or disappear and so on. So this was a different response from Jesus. Yeah. So this is the same response Jesus gave to the devil in the wilderness after the third temptation. Peter is unwittingly echoing the devil's temptation. Yeah. So Jesus responds to that third temptation, and he says, get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So the devil's temptations to Jesus were all about Jesus' comfort and escaping the suffering and death mm -hmm. uh, that needed to happen. So point number 10, Jonah had a verbal message to deliver, unlike dead sacrifices. I mean, yeah, dead, dead sheep, a dead ox, whatever. Um, yeah, it had a message, you know, it gave its life, but then it's quiet. But Jonah has to say something. Uh, he has to go to Nineveh and tell them that they're in deep trouble and they need to repent. And Jesus uh, had a verbal message to deliver other than the way he lived his life, which, of course, is a message. But he actually had something to say. Uh, John 1 verse 1, Sasha. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. So I, I don't know what the two of you what the image you have when you say Jesus is the word. For me, it means if you want to hear what God is like, listen to Jesus. I mean, like this 
I know there's, you can go into this Greek uh, equivalent of ho logos, which means the, the ethos of the culture or the, uh, the kingdom or, or the civilization. Um, yeah, you can do that. But just using the word, capital W, means like this is your spokesperson this is your ambassador this is your representative and he or she will articulate what's in my heart yeah mm -hmm. so now in the same chapter of john verse 17 uh, this is what uh, jesus articulated for the law was given through moses but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. So if I have to summarize law, I would say, thou shalt not. And if I had to summarize the gospel, it would be, God loves you. Yeah. Okay, we come to the last parallel. The miracle of Jonah surviving drowning was evidence that his message was from God. This, this passage, this little statement here, in Luke 11, 29 to 30. Sasha, if you can read that, please. As the crowd pressed in on Jesus, he said, this evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. What happened to him was a sign to the people of Nineveh that God had sent him. What happens to the son of man will be a sign to these people that he was sent by God. Hmm. You get it. What happened to Jonah was a sign to the people of Nineveh that God had sent him. Well, what happened to him? He gets thrown overboard in a storm. A fish picks him up. And three days later, he appears on land. Yeah. He basically no. dies and gets resurrected. <laughs> yeah. And he must have told the Ninevites this story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what if he was bleached from the gastric juices in the belly of the fish? Yeah. He, he told, them, told them, the reason I'm this pale color, and then tells them the story. What a tall tale. <laughs> yeah. What a fishy story. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus says, you know what's going to authenticate me like the belly of the fish for three days and three nights authenticated Jonah as a prophet? I'm going to be dead for three days and then I'm going to be resurrected. Mm. That will authenticate me. And no doubt that was the convincing argument that many of the the scribes that are, are Pharisees that that's decided to follow Jesus after his resurrection. Can you give us that verse? No, I can't. It's, it's at the end of one of the chapters in Acts. I would say chapter three or four, five, oh, somewhere there. So, Sasha, I want you to read Acts 2.24. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Hmm. Isn't that cool? Yeah. 
death tried to keep Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now, when we say death, we actually uh, are referring to the devil who has the power of death. What this is saying is that the devil wanted to keep Jesus dead, mm -hmm. but he couldn't. Like the the paddles that are, you know, what what do they call that? You know, when you get the paddles and your jump starts your heart again, it's like the the paddles are the love, and the love is so powerful that it it brings back life. I think we've demonstrated that this parallel between Jonah and Jesus is a big story. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about a big story, we mean there's a hero who achieved significant good for the community through suffering and persistence. And big stories create culture with retelling. And the retelling of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the big story for believers. So notice in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 4, Paul says, I passed unto you what was most important. Okay, so this is the big story. And what had been passed on to me, Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said, he was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. Warren, do you have something to report? I didn't find it. Okay. So we'll find it another day. Yeah. So what can we conclude after looking at the sign of Jonah? One. The rock on which Israel stumbled was the cross of Christ. Now, when we talk about the cross of Christ, we're talking about his suffering and death. And it was because the Jews of his day had no idea of a suffering Messiah that they couldn't accept Jesus because he suffered and died. Mm -hmm. Conceptually, they were prevented from accepting Jesus because they had the wrong expectation. So Jonah suffering in the fish was a great way of introducing the concept without the baggage that sacrificed animals carried. Mm -hmm. With Jesus' death, he was not buying the favor of God or satisfying God's justice by his death. His death was a ransom paid to us by his love to win our allegiance back to our creator. That's really important because uh, Christianity is still teaching that he was buying God's favor or satisfying God's justice. Yeah, and, and this is because we do not want to take responsibility yeah. for what we did to our God when he mm -hmm. came to visit. And we repeat the same blame game that Adam and Eve played uh, after they had sinned. And I can't help but think it's a factor in the lack of transformation that just doesn't take place in people's lives when they become Christian. It's not, it's not life-changing in, in, in this respect because they don't, we don't take that responsibility and allow it to change our lives. If the priests had told the people when they brought their animal, this animal is innocent and you're going to kill it now, and it represents God when he will come, uh, the innocent God, and you will kill him. But apparently it wasn't explained that way. You know, in retrospect, we understand that Jesus had to suffer. Well, he did suffer. 
I mean, you can't escape that conclusion. Mm -hmm. So we don't have this uh, false expectation that uh, our Jewish friends had 2,000 years ago. But sometimes we don't embrace the necessity of our following Jesus in suffering uh, at times in our lives. Can we embrace the need to suffer, to communicate the love of God to those around us? Mm. This includes suffering false accusations and not retaliating. Mm -hmm. It is an absorbing evil that we diminish suffering in the world. Taking up our cross means just that this attitude towards us who hurt us emotionally and spiritually, we do not retaliate. Warren, I'm going to ask you to read this story to end our podcast. The young man stopped at the edge of the frozen lake. His footprints led back through the snow for several miles to the prison, to the prison from which he had escaped. An Anabaptist in the 16th century Holland, Dirk Willem, had been sentenced to burn at the stake. Now he ran for his life with one guard in pursuit. The ice at the shoreline was thick and white, but near the center it was shaded down to a thinner sheet. A, light, a slight man like Dirk would have a chance of reaching the other side safely, but his heavier pursuer would need to go around or take a terrible risk. Carefully, gingerly, Dirk made his way to the opposite bank. Just as he arrived, the guard burst out of the woods and began lumbering across the ice as the fugitive sprinted away. But then a crack, a shriek. Dirk whirled to see a jagged black hole with the pursuer's head and flailing arms at its center. Dirk was safe, free. But he also faced a question. Was it Christ-like to leave a man to die? How could a Christian live with that cry ringing in his ears? On the other hand, how many people could he reach with his ministry after he'd been burned at the stake? Didn't he have an obligation to stay alive for the sake of their future? And what of Dirk? He went back onto the ice and rescued the guard, who promptly arrested him. Instead of being miraculously delivered, Dirk returned to jail and not long afterward was burned at the stake, as any cynic might have predicted. It did not end there, though. The story swept through Holland, and in shame for the killing of that righteous man, the Dutch passed a law that no person should ever again be put to death for his or her religious beliefs. It was the first such law in Europe. Holland became a haven for all kinds of Christian fugitives including the Puritans who fled there before taking a ship for the new world. Thank wow. you. That had to be one hardened guard. You, yes. you'd, think, you'd think that, you know, once his life was saved, he would have said, okay, get on out of here. I never saw you. Never saw you. <laughs> and thank his lucky stars that he yeah. got out of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's interesting to me is that it's like we we are we're in the story but we don't actually get to hear the end of the story like you know how this how we get to go oh wow and then his life it, it led to so much uh good right 
but I feel like we won't get to hear the end of the story until heaven. Mm. And yet that's how hard it will be, right? To have to do the turning around and to go back and to save that guard. Uh, because in every movie and everything, you know, the bad guy does eventually fall off the cliff and nobody has to feel bad, right? It's like he's hanging on, right? And <laughs> in this case, really, it's the the absolute opposite of what we would want to do. Hmm. Yeah. You never know what you need to do to authenticate yourself as a believer. And that's the challenge of being a, a Christian. It's every day uh, you meet other people that you potentially can tell of the wonder of Jesus. But sometimes you need to authenticate it um, in ways that you don't particularly care for. True. Sometimes no. God does things that authenticate our story or allows things to happen to us that gives authenticity to what we're saying. Yeah. So we've done the sign of Jonah. Fascinating. Um, wow. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Wow. Nice did. Uh, let's pray together. Dear God. Um, it seems impossible that we could live for 1500 years with the sacrificial system and not understand the very meaning it was meant to convey that it just became a pagan ritual way of buy, buying your favor. Um, when I think of this, I am nervous about my own understanding. And I pray for deliverance from thinking like a pagan about you. Thank you for promising that you will accompany us through the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us, even to the end of the age, to guide us in our thinking. We are so happy for this promise. You will find the PDF document that we're following today on our website, rediscoveringgod.ca, where the recordings, the PDFs, the podcasts are all listed there. And you can share that website with your friends and they can follow along. We'd also really love to invite you to the Monday night Zoom discussion where we all gather in fellowship with each other, all us listeners of the podcast where we can come with our questions, comments, thoughts, um, resources. It's a wonderful time of encouragement where um, we get to affirm each other and encourage each other. Um, so that's a Monday nights at 7.30 Mountain Time. You can just type in 403-506-9201. And we'd love to have you there. Thank you for joining us today on this journey to understand the God that Jesus knew. 
To enable you to share this with your friends, we've developed a website at www.rediscoveringgod.ca where all the podcasts are posted and you can also download a PDF document that gives you the passages that we've been looking at in each podcast that you can review, follow along, or share also with your friends. In addition to the website, you can reach us at rediscoveringgod20 at gmail.com if you have questions or just would like to share with us. We would be glad to hear from you. Thank you so much.